Okay, so here we are in the book of Jonah. That's probably, Jonah is probably the most well-known of the, of the uh, you know, because some of us get into uh, the, the well, who was Zechariah or Zacchaeus or, or who were one of some of these minor prophets. But everybody knows Jonah because it's a big fish story, isn't it? Right? We, learn, we hear this, this story of, you know, uh, Jonah, and all of us go back to our Sunday school days. And, and uh, so we're going to be talking about Jonah today. And Jonah, I believe the message of Jonah is that God is the God of the second chance. Even when you think you've messed up beyond anything, God will give you a second chance. Now Jonah is, uh, is an interesting minor prophet in that he doesn't preach, he doesn't preach against either the northern tribe or the southern tribe, Judah or Israel. He's actually from the northern tribe, but he is sent to preach to Nineveh. It is the Assyrians. And it's told in a much different style of story. It's a narrative. He is, he is sharing his story, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but he is writing from the personal viewpoint of, of what was happening. And if we were to go to our timeline, uh, he, he prophesied between 782 and 753, so if you go kind of in the middle, up in the northern kingdom, he's prophesying around the same time as Hosea prophesied, as Amos prophesied. That's the time period that he's in. And uh, he's actually prophesying about this country that about 100 years later is going to come and wipe out the northern kingdom. But God's going to give them an opportunity, an opportunity to know him. And when we come to Nineveh that he's going to preach to, Nineveh, uh, if you'll notice, is up in the northern part of your map. If you can see that, the Tigris River comes up and it splits. Okay, And that's where Nineveh was. It's about 600 miles from Jerusalem to Nineveh. Quite a ways away. Pretty good, pretty long trip. You can actually visit the ruins of Nineveh today by going to Mosul, Iraq. And just outside, along the Tigris River, you will find the, the ruins of Nineveh. Nineveh, at the time of, of Jonah, was, was a large city. It was the capital of the Assyrians. It boasted 600,000 people in population, and it was 60 miles wide. It's a big city. But it also housed some of the most ruthless people that were around. The Assyrians, when they would come in and attack people to take over their country, they were known, they would... They would take people and they would impale them on posts. They would set them on fire. They would flay them open while they were still alive. They would behead people. And then those that he, they wanted to take captive, 
they would take fish hooks and they would put through their nose or their jaw and they would string them together and haul them back to their country to, to live as slaves. That was the Assyrian people. They were hated by pretty much everybody. And that brings us to the book of Jonah. Let's look at Jonah chapter 1, and we'll read the first three verses. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amity, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for the wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa and found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Have you ever tried to flee God? It doesn't work very well. Just ask Jonah. But why was Jonah fleeing? God had given him, he, he said, go and, and prophesy against them to their destruction. So it makes you kind of think, well, well why did jo Jonah flee? The answer is actually in chapter 4, verse 2. When Jonah is talking with God, he said, he prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents concerning calamity. See, he knew the character of God. He was a prophet. And he said, you know what? I hate those people. I've seen what they've done. They're terrible. God, I'm not going to go preach and give you the opportunity to give them grace. So I'm going to run the other way. But you know what? You cannot run from the presence of God. Isn't that true? You can't do it. As a matter of fact, where did he try to run? Tarshish is a port city in Spain. Today, if you were to go to, the, to Gibraltar, you know, that nice place where, where the Mediterranean Sea comes out, and you have the rock of Gibraltar, that's basically where Tarshish is. As far as a ship that would leave Joppa, see, they didn't get out of the, they weren't big enough to go out into the ocean, but they would stay in the Mediterranean Sea, 2,500 miles away. He says, I'm going to go as far as I can so I don't have to preach because I know who you are, God. You will give grace. And so he ran. And he thought, I'm going to get away. I'm going to get away from God. Psalms 139 tells us, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take on the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the 
remotest part of the sea. Now, Jonah's going to learn this very in a very real fashion. Not just some remote island, but in the very depths of the sea. Even there your hand will lead me. And your right hand will lay hold of me. You see, he's going to learn that firsthand. That even in the depths of the sea, God will lead him. So let's look at this story that we, we've learned so often in Sunday school. Let's look at verses 4 through 15 as Jonah shares his firsthand experience. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. And then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God. And they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, lain down and fallen a sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you're sleeping? Get up! Call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us that we will not perish. And each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots so that we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And then he said to them, Tell us now whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I feel the fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. So they said to him, what should we do so that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. However... The men rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea be was becoming even stormier against them. And then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Wow! What a story. What a narrative that he's writing. A couple things I want you to catch here. First of all, God caused the storm. Now that's not unusual, is it? Because who is God? What did Jonah say about his God, he is the God of 
heaven and earth, and he made the sea. (laughs) Boy, you guys are in trouble, is what he's telling them. Because the God that I have messed with, the God that I am trying to flee from, is the God of the sea. Now, and I want you to, to watch what's going on with him. He is, he's telling them, it's my fault, and it's my God. Because they all cried out to their gods and nothing happened. You ever watch that? People, they'll they'll say, oh, well, I'm in trouble. I'm going to pray to this God or that God or the other God. That never works because they have deaf ears. But he said, my God caused a storm. And then we come to this very interesting part where he says, throw me overboard. Now, God caused a storm, and who was the storm for? It was for Jonah. But who else is caught up in this storm? All of these sailors are in the midst of this storm. If anybody else was in a boat someplace else, they're in the midst of the storm. Can you imagine all these businessmen who put, on, put all, their, all their items and their merchandise on this boat to send it to Tarshish, and all of a sudden... Where is it now? It's the bottom of the sea. They had to throw it overboard. You see, sometimes you know, we, we think about if we're in a storm, it, it's all about us. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's somebody else's storm. We're just caught in the middle of it. And a matter of fact, they even tried to help God out. They're like, we don't want to throw Jonah overboard. He will die out here. We're in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. So what did they try to do? Tried to row back to land. It didn't work very well, did it, Francis? It didn't work at all. Because the harder they rowed, the stormier the sea got. Because God said, you're not making it back to dry land with Jonah on board. Jonah has a message that he's refusing to give. And I need to remind them of that. And so it says that they went to throw Jonah overboard. Now what do you think was going on in Jonah's mind when he said, throw me overboard? Was he saying, oh yeah, throw me overboard and I'll swim back to shore? No. Was he saying, oh, throw me overboard and God's going to throw me a life preserver? No. He said... I want to die. He was suicidal. He said, you know, let's just get this over with. Throw me overboard. I'll drown. Everything will be okay. I'm the one that God is punishing. And you go, oh, wait a second. He's a prophet of God. He can't be suicidal. Oh, I got news for you. He's not the first prophet of God to be suicidal. How about Elijah? You remember Elijah? Oh, man, he was the, one of the greatest prophets. He was so good that God took him up in a chariot, didn't even let him die. Let me remind you what Elijah said. In 1 Kings 19, 4, it says, this is Elijah speaking. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness 
and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. He said, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. You see, somehow we've, we, sometimes we get this, this notion that as Christians, we can't have problems so bad that we want to end our life. But there are people that that happens to. And it happened to Jonah. It happened to Elijah. And in the midst of all of that, God is still going to work. Now, I want you to watch what happens now as they've tossed him into the sea, okay? And look at verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Did you notice a little shift in, in who they're talking to now? Who did they talk to at first? They talk to their gods. Notice that in your, in your Bible, little g, their gods, their idols. Fisher, the, the seamen were particularly uh, notorious for having, hedging their bets with every god that they knew. But this was the god of the sea. And then it changes, because look what they pray in verse 14, it changes to, Oh, Lord, in your Bible, that's probably all capital letters, isn't it? You know what he's saying? Elohim, the God of the Hebrews, Yahweh, that's who we're praying to now. God of the seas, Jonah's God, say, don't, don't count it against us, what we're about to do. And when the sea calmed, and Jonah was thrown into the sea, what'd they do? They feared God and they made vows. They got saved. They got saved because God demonstrated himself to them. And they turned to the one God, the God of the Hebrews, Yahweh. You see, God gave the sailors a second chance. Not only a second chance with their life as sailors, he spared them, but he also gave them a second chance in their faith. He said, you can turn away from your, your gods that you carry around in your pocket or around your neck, and you can turn to the one true and living God. He gave the sailors a second chance, and now he's going to give Jonah a second chance. I want you to look at verse 17. And then, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. God made a fish to swallow Jonah. Now, I'm not going to get into the whale versus fish controversy and you know all of that. You can read that on your own. There's a, there's actually some 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 stuff out there about you know what can fit in a in a whale's stomach and all of that. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is God made it and he he swallowed Jonah. You see, we don't get to choose how God shows mercy. 
What did Jonah want? Just kill me, God. Let's get this over with. I don't want to testify. I don't want to go to Nineveh. God says, you're not getting off that easy, buddy. Now, I find it interesting that he's in the belly of this whale for three days and three nights, right? And, and Jesus is going to talk about this, right? Twice Jesus mentions in Matthew about as it, was in the, as it was with Jonah that he was three days and three nights in the belly of a whale, right? He says, so I will be in the, in the depths of the earth. And he, he, is, he uses that. So that's how we know this is a true story because even Jesus says, hey, I'm going I'm to name this guy. He said, just like Jonah. Three days. Then chapter 2 comes up. Look at chapter 2. And what does it start with? Then Jonah prayed. Three days? Man, I would have been praying after three minutes. God, get me out of here. Can you imagine what that was like, sloshing around with all the, all the other stuff that this fish had eaten? You know, you got a big old seaweed sprig coming over your ear. You know, and, and he, he, for three days and three nights, he lays in the belly of this fish with the gastric juices going around and all of Oh, then he prayed. You see, sometimes when we have a hard heart, it takes, it takes us a while to say, okay, God, got the message loud and clear. And in chapter 2 is all his prayer. It's a wonderful prayer. You can read the prayer in chapter 2 because it's interesting what it ends with. It starts with, then Jonah, and guess what it ends with in verse 10? Then the Lord commanded the fish, and he vomited Jonah up onto dry land. Then Jonah prayed, then God moved. Jonah's prayer activated God's action. Do you realize how powerful your prayers are? When you come and finally say, God, I give up. Okay, I'll do what you said. Then God says, okay. And, and I, I don't know about you, but I find humor in Scripture. I really do. A whale, or a big fish, sorry. A big fish, how close can it get to the beach without getting grounded, right? Not, not very far. I mean, it's got to stay. So, so think of projectile vomiting. Because it doesn't say he, he spit him out in the water in front of the beach. It says he spit him out onto dry ground. Pew! <laughs> right? I mean, I, I, I'm sorry. Your pastor has a weird sense of humor. <laughs> so, but the beauty of this is what happens in chapter 3, 1 and 2. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim it to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. 
God gave him a second chance to obey. He got the opportunity to obey. Well, gee whiz, if he would have done that in the first place, we could have, we could have uh, you know, not had to go out on that three-day three tour out through the, in the belly of a whale experiencing all that he did. But God gave him a second chance. He says, yes, same message, Jonah. You go and preach what I tell you to preach. And, and as he decides to obey, I want you to understand, it's not easy to obey. I want you to think, he's been in the belly of a whale for three days, or belly of a fish, sorry, for three days. There's actually, a, in the 1800s, there is a, uh, there's a story of a young man that fell into the sea while they were whaling. He was swallowed up. They later harpooned the whale and, and pulled him in. And when they were cutting him open, the guy was still alive in, in the belly of this whale. And he was bleached white from the gastric juices. You can read it. It's, it's, you can go. It's in the history books. You can read about this guy. Here's Jonah. He is bleached white from the gastric juices. He ever sat in a tub too long? He was a prune, right? And the, and the worst part usually is what? It's your hands and your feet. Because that's where all your calluses are, right? Now he has to go 600 miles across an arid country to get to Nineveh. What do you think he looked like when he got there? What do you think the sun does to somebody who has been bleached white? I mean, this guy is sunburned and peeling. His, his, you know, he looks terrible. That ordeal, just getting to Nineveh to preach, it's not easy to obey. But God gives us the opportunity. And I, I imagine along the way, Jonah's probably going, why didn't I do this the first time? This would have been a whole lot easier. But as he heads to Nineveh, and then we come to, when we come to the, what he actually preaches to them, it's interesting what he preaches. So go to chapter 3, verses 3 to 10. And so Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days walked. Remember we talked, it's 60 miles wide. And when Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, he cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's not a very long message. You guys are probably saying, I wish you would have preached that message today. We would have been off the coffee already. A little bitty message. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God. And they called a fast and put sackcloth on the greatest to the least of them. And then the word reached the king of Nineveh. And he rose from his throne and laid aside his robe with him and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in the ashes. And he issued a proclamation. And it said, in Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. Both man and beast must be covered. 
covered with sackcloth. Let men call on God earnestly that he may turn from his wicked way, turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hand. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. And then God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, and then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. A reluctant preacher preaches half a message that results in repentance. Jonah didn't want to be there. Matter of fact, when we get to chapter 4, you're going to see how much he didn't want to be there. He was a reluctant preacher. And he only preached half a message. What did he preach to them? Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. When God sends a message to somebody, what's the other half of the message? But if you repent, if you'll repent and return to me, he didn't preach that half of the message. He just said, 40 days and God's going to wipe you out. He didn't preach the repentance. But you know what the Bible says? It says the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will bring men to repentance. And even though we had this reluctant preacher that's only preaching about the judgment of God, they understood through the Holy Spirit that God wanted them to repent, and they did. I mean, you talk about revival. This is a city of 600,000 people, and it says everybody from the king down to the lowest, lowest slave in the city got in on their knees in sackcloth and ashes, and they repented, and look who they prayed to. Not their God. You want to know an interesting piece of history? They actually had a fish god that they worshipped, half fish, half man. They didn't pray to him. They prayed to God, Yahweh, and what did God do? He saw their repentance. And he says, okay, I'm not going to wipe you out. He gave the Ninevites a second chance. Now, who were these Ninevites? They were evil, wicked, despicable people. And yet he said, you're worth saving. Now, I don't know who needs to hear that here this morning. But it doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done. God will give you a second chance. God has a message for you today. If you will come to me, if you will repent of your sin and come to me, I will give you a second chance. He did that with the Ninevites. He relented from what he was going to do. He said, I'm no longer going to destroy you. God gave him the second chance. Chapter 4 is just an interesting piece that I want us to understand because it has to do with how we respond to God. Look at verses 1 through 4 of chapter 4. 
Oh, come on. Here we go. There we go. But it greatly displeased Jonah. And he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall what this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now the Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. And the Lord said, do you have good reason to be angry? Did Did Jonah's attitude change? No, he was still, God just killed me. I, I, I can't believe that you gave them a second chance. You see, God will call us on our heart attitude. Did Jonah do what God told him to do? Did he go preach? Well, he preached half the message. But God called him on his heart attitude. You see, that's where God deals with because he knows our heart. Sometimes read through the book of uh, Proverbs and see how many times God talks about, I know your heart, or it's your heart attitude that needs to change. He, God calls us on that And anger was the visible sign of his heart attitude. We got to change our heart attitude. Now I want you to hold on to that. Because we see this, uh, this, this object lesson that he gives uh, about the, you know, it says that in verse 6, God appointed a plant to grow up over Jonah. He builds, a little, he builds a little shelter outside of the city. He's sitting there. What's he waiting for? Oh, this isn't going to take, God's going to destroy him. I'm going to sit here until 40 days is up because I think God's going God's to go ahead because this repentance thing isn't real. But it was. And God gave him a plant. He said, he said Jonah, I'm going to give you a little object lesson. And he sends this plant. And it grows up over his shelter miraculously. I mean, if you're, you know, anybody here from the south? Anybody know what kudzu is? Okay, if you've been to the south and you've seen kudzu, kudzu might grow that fast. <laughs> but, but he sends this plant and he puts it over the top of him and he shelters him. And, and, and Jonah still doesn't get it. He's, he's grateful for the plant. But then it says, the next day God sends a worm and the worm eats that plant and it's, and it's gone and then it says and God sent what? A wind. They call it Sirocco. It's a very hot east wind that brings and he just scorches the plant. It scorches Jonah. And then God comes back to him In verse 9 it says, 
And then God said to Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry even to death. Wow. Hang on to that thought for a moment. Because God is going to use this object lesson to try to, to dwell down, dig down into Jonah and say, do, do you still not understand me enough to know how much I love people? I want you to look at verses 10 and 11. And then the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120 persons who did not know the difference between their right hand and their left, as well as many animals? That's an interesting statement, because how many people lived in that city? 600,000. Who were these 120,000? That, that little Jewish idiom that don't know the right from the left? Who's he talking about? The children. He says, there's 120,000 children who live in this city that can't even make a decision of who to worship. They don't know their right hand from their left hand. And I had compassion, if for nothing else, on those 120,000 little babies that hadn't made a choice yet. He said, that's why. That's why. You see, God has a special mercy for children. You wonder why we do things like Casa de Fe. That little orphanage down there, baby Marion, that we've been praying for just passed on this last week. They, she was only there a couple months. She had hydrocephala and she died last week. Why would we invest in some place like, because God has mercy on the children. Why do we invest in, in HCO and, and sponsor children? Because they're the, they're the future of what we have to look for. And God has special mercy on them. Now I want to go back to what we said in verse 9. Do you not have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry even to death. And that's where we leave Jonah. And I think that's purposeful on God's part. Did Jonah, did it say, oh, and Jonah got his heart right with God and he went on to preach for another 50 years and he was a great man of God? No. Matter of fact, we really don't know. All we know is that he lived long enough and he had a heart change enough to write the book of Jonah. Now, if you don't think that wasn't a hard book to write, 
Can you imagine telling people all your dirty secrets? I hated the Ninevites. I ran away from God. I got swallowed up. And then when I preached, I only preached half the message. And then I was mad because they repented. Somewhere along the line, he may have sat there for that 40 days waiting for God and all he saw was revival and revival and people changing and people burning their idols and people, people getting right with God and changing their life. And then he, he made his way back to his hometown and God said, are you ready to write now? I want you to write this story. The story of the second chance. Because, folks, I'm telling you, God doesn't always say, okay, I'm going to fix everything. I'm going to fix your past. I'm going to fix your present. I'm going to change your heart. You see, we have to cooperate with that. Jonah had to sit for quite a while in the midst of his anger and his disappointment before God finally said, Jonah, it's time for you to write your story. See, what I'm telling, trying to tell you here is some of you are going through some tough, tough things. Some of you may be in the midst of it. Some of you are maybe on the other side. And maybe God's telling you it's time to write your story. Anne has a class. They, come, they meet here every week about writing your story. Why, why would God want us to write our story? Because God wants every one of us to know that he's the God of a second chance. And it doesn't matter whether you're as evil as the Ninevites or whether you're a reluctant preacher who decides he doesn't want to preach God's message. He still has a second chance for you. You just have to come to him. You have to come to him and say, I repent and I want to follow you. 